We're going to head back this morning to Isaiah chapter 9 to look at the third name in a prophecy about Jesus' birth. And it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We have been looking at these names that Jesus would be called. And the reason that he would be called, the reason they were foretold 700 years before his birth is because Jesus' character is rooted in the eternal character of God. That's why God said in Genesis 1.26, from the very beginning, and he said it in the plural, let us... Make God, make man in our image. He was talking about at the beginning of the creation, referring to himself in the plural. The reason for that is because the Son is eternal, everlasting with the Father, and so is the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we're going back and looking at Isaiah at that third name, everlasting Father. When you think about Isaiah giving this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Just just let that sink in for a minute. 700 years before Jesus' birth. That is a long time to wait. Generations of people told their children that one day a Messiah would come who would fulfill these amazing descriptions that Isaiah shared with us. 700 years. That's three times longer than the United States has even been a nation. It's almost Christmas again. And we are about to celebrate a moment in history that happened more than 2,000 years ago. And like those ancient Israelites, we are keeping that hope alive. Hope that God keeps his word. Hope that Jesus came to make a way to the Father and that he will come again. Hope because scripture says through faith in Jesus that God adopted us as sons and daughters. As Christians, when Jesus speaks the words that we are that he was one with the father we we don't bat an eye as christians but we cannot comprehend how jesus claim to be one with the father would have been heard by the ancient israelites it would have been blasphemy jesus was claiming to be god He was claiming to be the one who fulfilled these promises that were given 700 years before his birth. Imagine with me that you are adopted. And I know some of you actually are, and we all are in a spiritual sense. But imagine with me that that you are adopted and you have heard things about your biological father. You have heard stories about him and even some descriptions of what he looks like. And over the years, even though you have never met him, you form this mental image of who he is 
and what he looks like. Then imagine with me one day a man stands before you and says, I am your father. Shock. All kinds of emotions. And to make things even more confusing, he looks nothing like you imagined in your mind. His mannerisms don't seem to fit. He, he doesn't look anything like you expected. He doesn't talk like you think he should talk. That's a little bit what it was like when Jesus said to the Jewish people, I and the Father are one. Jesus didn't do the things they thought he should do. He didn't hang out with the people that they thought he should hang out with. His passions were for the things that they thought he should be passionate about. And Jesus, who didn't meet any of their expectations, says, I'm one with the everlasting Father. I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. It didn't go over really well. John 10, 29 gives us a glimpse, verses through 31. Jesus said, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. They would have got that. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. They would agree with that. I and the father are one. And again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Uh, again means this is a somewhat regular occurrence. It has happened before. We know it didn't end well. They crucified him on the cross. Jesus, who claimed to be one with the everlasting Father, just didn't measure up. They were all thinking, this can't be Dad. This can't be the Messiah. I'm always amazed at how closely our relationship with our earthly fathers taints, informs our relationship with our heavenly father. It's like our relationship with our dad puts an image in our mind of what our heavenly father is like. Images about his character, his temperament, his love for us. When someone talking, starts talking about God as everlasting Father, all sorts of images, emotions, and memories come to our mind. As a father, as a, as a dad, that's a humbling, humbling truth. It's not easy being a dad, but that's a lot of pressure. That, that my son, my daughters, will look at me and be informed and have a concept of their heavenly father based on my relationship with them. We all make mistakes. To view our heavenly father as our earthly fathers, we get this kind of foggy view of God at best. Some of us, can see that dynamic very clearly, but realize it's dangerous to judge God by our earthly fathers because nobody on this side of heaven is perfect. When we judge God by our earthly fathers, we're on shaky ground. Maybe your dad was never satisfied. 
Maybe your father never told you that he loved you. Maybe he wasn't around. Maybe you worked really hard for his approval and affirmation, but it was just never there. Or maybe you walked around on eggshells at home just to avoid the outburst of anger. Maybe he was always drunk. When you think of God being an everlasting father, if you base it on what your dad was like and he was like that, you may not be immediately willing to sign up for a relationship like that. But on the other hand, maybe your dad was an awesome dad. Maybe he gave you hugs and kisses and provided and sacrificed. Maybe he spent time with you and taught you things and was careful to discipline you and expected the best from you. Taught you that God came first, was faithful to your mom, and told you how much he loved you and how proud he was of you. Some of you are thinking, that was my dad. And when you think of God being an everlasting father, you're more willing to sign up for a relationship like that. And just as a side note, if that was your dad, you need to thank him. Because not everybody has a relationship with their father that's like that. No matter what your experience this morning, I'd like us to do something a little bit different. I'd like us to try to set those things aside, good or bad, and look at our everlasting Father from the view of Scripture this morning. Because if you didn't have the best experience with your biological father, I believe this book proclaims that God wants to be the father that you never had. So here are some characteristics of our everlasting father. And Jesus was born, we are told, to display these characteristics specifically to us as his kids. So I'm going to list a number of these because I think each of them might minister to different people differently. So number one, if you're taking notes, your everlasting father is compassionate. God cares about you. He, he cares how you're doing. He cares how you're feeling. Exodus 34, 6 says this, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Your heavenly Father will never explode on you. He will never be overly harsh. Instead, he's going to be compassionate, gracious, loving. It's who he is. It's the glimpse of our Heavenly Father that we see in Jesus. It's not an act. He's not trying to impress anyone. It's never going to change, ever. Your Heavenly Father wants to know you. And he will be there for you. And he promised never to leave you or forsake you. And he never will. Number two, your everlasting father will welcome you back if you lose your way. God is not going to stay mad at you 
for something you have done. The relationship that you have with your heavenly father will never be over. He will never write you off. He will never refuse to speak to you. He will not cast you aside if you screw up. If somebody left the relationship between you and God, it was you. But when you come to your senses and turn around, God will be right there with open arms to receive you back. Many of you will recognize this scripture from Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son, who had messed up royally, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. If you have wandered in life, it's time to come home to Jesus. Because your heavenly father has been there waiting for you to come to your senses and turn around. I think I'm speaking to someone this morning and that God has been waiting. And I just want to say on behalf of God, welcome home. Number three, your heavenly everlasting father will seek you. If you wander, this is the kind of step before. This is as that prodigal son left the house. So God won't just be there when you come to your senses and turn around. He will seek you if you lose your way. He will pursue you. He will call to you. You can try to ignore him, but you will have to work to ignore him because God doesn't want to lose you. He loves you and he will fight to keep you close to him. Matthew 18 is, is beautiful. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So again, if, if you came to church this morning because it's Christmas time and that's what you do at Christmas time, we're glad you're here. And I believe that you're here not by accident, but because God's been fighting to get you here. He's been pursuing you. He's been after your heart because he loves you. And he is your everlasting father. From this point on, you can continue to try to ignore him, but you will have to work at it to do so because he loves you. 
Number four, your everlasting Father wants you to know his love and his favor. God never holds back the words, I love you. I'm proud of you as my son or daughter. God doesn't want you to have to guess if he is pleased with you. Romans 8 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption and sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's, it's amazing to me that, that God didn't just inspire it once and write it down. God doesn't expect us to find John 3.16 in this book and read that for God so loved the world and then, and then deduce, well, I'm part of the world, God must love me. God said it, he spoke it, you can find it in here. But the spirit that dwells in us speaks to our spirit so that we know we are sons and daughters of God. Your heavenly father wants you to experience his love from himself. He's not distant. He's not far off. He longs to communicate that you are his and that he loves you. If you've ever had trouble feeling and experiencing the love of God, listen to that still, small voice this morning inside of you. Because the Heavenly Father is always whispering, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Number five, your everlasting Father wants to bless you and provide for you. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel message. It is not a name it, claim it word from God. But God knows that you have needs and he longs to meet them. And more than the things of life, God longs to bless you with a Savior. It's why he sent Jesus. Luke 12 says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. There is a temptation in life to seek the giver, the the gifts instead instead of the giver of the gifts. And when we run after the created things instead of the creator, everyone loses their way. God says, if we seek to honor and glorify him, if we seek his kingdom first, if we're concerned about the needs of others more than ourselves, he will take care of the rest and that we don't have to worry. God wants to bless us and provide for us. 
that doesn't mean that your everlasting father will give you the riches of Solomon. But it means that he will give you everything that you need. It doesn't mean that you won't face hunger or uncertainty or experience want. It, no, it means that God knows that you have needs, and he will provide for them if you trust him. Number six, your everlasting father will discipline you for your own good. God is not like the great grandparent in the sky. Uh, grandparents are awesome. Everybody can say amen to that. Uh, kids, especially at Christmas time, you know, if mom or dad says no, grandma will buy it. And all the kids said, amen. Um, but grandparents, they're awesome. They let you stay up too late. They give you food you shouldn't have. They buy you things just because a lot. And all the parents say, please, would you just stop? I think we can all agree that if grandparents raised a world of kids, they would all be spoiled brats. God disciplines us for our own good. He will not be rash. He does not take delight in our suffering. He takes no pleasure in our pain. But he loves us too much not to put boundaries in place and make sure that there are consequences for actions outside of his will. Deuteronomy 8 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. I think that's a very significant verse because it shows that the Lord's discipline is relational. It's not cold. It's not by the letter of the law. It's as a father disciplines his son or daughter. It's done as a good father disciplines his son. Hebrews 12.9 kind of gives us another glimpse. It says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Uh, I think that happens sometime like after the teenage years when uh, parents' IQs jump back up to normal levels in the eyes of their kids. But uh, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God's ultimate goal is that we share his holiness and that we are blessed. His discipline is for our good. And when we rebel against our everlasting father, life gets out of control and we suffer. I think what some people fail to realize is that God gets to speak his truth in every area of our lives. But he's not out to ruin our fun. He knows how to live life to the fullest, and it's because he loves us. If you have ever wondered, if you have ever wondered, I want you to know this morning that God is not out to get you. He's out to get your heart back. 
He wants to give you your life back. Yes, discipline is painful, but not as painful as living life without your everlasting Father. I called this week, I called a a secretary that I had at the first church I served because I remembered a story that she shared with me once. Her father abandoned the entire family when she was a kid. And she had trouble connecting with God. And she said she was praying one morning, having a pity party for Mary, as she called it, because she just couldn't feel the love of God. Her dad had abandoned her, and she had this wall up inside of her. And she said it was like God transported her into his lap. And she said it was He was so big and so loving, and she could feel his arms around her. And she said that pity party for Mary just all faded away when she felt her everlasting father. And she said, God became the dad that that, that I never, ever had. Mary's now 75 years old. And still walking with Jesus, her everlasting father. Because that's how he will always be called. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you are called everlasting father. And that you love us and that you have compassion on us. And that you seek us when we wander. And that you're always there for us and that you discipline us because you love us. And God, you want us to share your holiness, but you also want to to spend eternity with us. So we give you thanks this morning for your love, for your grace. And God, if there is anyone here this morning that is in the middle of wandering, they didn't show up here by accident this morning. I know that, and you know that. And God, I think now they know that. Speak, speak to their hearts. Wrap your arms around them and put them in your lap this morning. Tell them it's going to be all right. That their sins are forgiven. That your love is amazing and it's enough. May your love make all the difference in the world. And all God's people said, Amen.